go back to, to your roots. Why are you doing what you're doing? What's your purpose? And once you start with the people, which really is at the core of every organization, you, you'll find answers to, to what ESG strategy you need to adopt. The Energy and Transition podcast is the first of its kind, exploring the critical role of oil and gas in energy transition. Energy transition is not transition away from hydrocarbons. It's a collaborative effort towards a lower carbon future. And these are the stories of the companies and people that are actively reducing emissions and actually getting us there. Leaders from all sectors will discuss industry trends and topics like emerging technologies, global energy demand, access to capital markets, ESG, and workforce innovation. This podcast is sponsored by Lockton Companies and Galtway Marketing. Good afternoon, everybody. It's Leslie Beyer with the Energy and Transition podcast in the Fletcher Azul Tequila Studio in Houston. Hope everybody's doing well. We're excited about our guest today, Asad Mahana, who is the Director of Business Strategy at NOV. Asad, thank you so much for joining us. It's great to be with you, Leslie. Perfect. Um, let me just go a little bit into your background. You have such an interesting story, and, and we're going to get into that at the beginning, but just a little bit about your bio. Your focus um, as the Director of Business Strategy at NOV is on energy economics, technology integration, and business innovation, which are really kind of the hot topics in the industry right now today, for sure. Um, before this, you had various operational roles in drilling and intervention with NOV in Dubai, Edmonton, and Demam before relocating to Houston in 2014, right when things got real exciting mm -hmm. in the market. Um, you're a licensed professional engineer, and you have your bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering from the American University of Beirut. Um, you also went to Purdue University in the Advanced Leadership Program. You have a 2021 MBA from Rice, and you're currently in the Executive Coaching Program at Rice, which I think is very cool. Yeah, I actually just wrapped up uh, that program last weekend, so it's pretty exciting. Well, congratulations. Yeah, I know we've talked a lot about our mutual friend and colleague, Dr. Yeah. Medlock over there and how sure. much he does to support the industry and everything that the Baker Institute does. He was also a guest yeah. um, on the podcast, and I could kind of listen to all that for a very long time. Yeah, well, first of all, Leslie, I want to say thank you for having me on this great show and congratulations on uh, energy in transition. Uh, I, was, I was telling Leslie before the show, it feels like walking in the footsteps of giants over here. And uh, just a uh, complete disclosure, I take full responsibility if you see your ratings or your viewership that uh, nosedive after this. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> I don't think I've interviewed another podcast host. Oh, yeah. So see, I mean, you're going to outshine me and then you're going to have to do the rest of the interviews here for the rest of my season. Well, I'm a big fan, so uh, it's still a big deal. Well, we enjoy watching Ask Assad, which is now the name of it is? Inside Out. All right, inside out at NOV. A little bit, just to get started kind of in your background, um, you know, you have a lot of knowledge in equipment design and you have that, you know, kind of engineering background, but now you're in business strategy focused on economics. Can you talk a little bit about kind of that transition into that side of the business? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, I, I joined the workforce in, in, uh, in 2007, which... Like my move to Houston in 2014 wasn't exactly the, the great beginning of a career, but um, 
uh, it, it was luckily enough, it wasn't as bad as what we're going through today. Uh, I started doing engineering uh, with NOV, spent some time in the field, some time in the shop, uh, servicing tools and maintaining equipment, um, did some design engineering. But quickly, as I learned the, the technical and operational side of business, got some exposure to manufacturing and supply chain, um, I started tilting the other direction a little bit and seeing what's happening in sales and in business development and a little bit about you know, what's, what, why are people, you know, how, how's the flow of, of capital? Uh, and the more I saw the business side of our business, mm -hmm. uh, the more I, I wanted more and, and wanted more exposure. So uh, I, I got some support from, from NOV to, to take that direction. So slowly transitioned from engineering it was a truly really gradual. I mean, I still did an engineering job all while doing uh, business development and supporting from a technical standpoint, meeting with customers. Um, I did that for a while. And then I spent some time uh, in Saudi Arabia. So my beginning you know, with NOV was in Dubai, straight out of college from, from mm -hmm. Beirut. Uh, I spent a few years in, in Dubai, then in, in Saudi Arabia. And I think that's where I got most of my career cap, you know, career equity, you know, over there, just from the sheer amount of activity you see in, in Saudi, uh, you know, you, you're in this one place, you have, you know, the only place I would probably compare Saudi Arabia operation to is the Permian Basin and, and just size of operation. So it, even better, because that's uh, under a single ENP and, and you literally have access to two to 300 rigs at a time. So, so, so that's what I really sunk my teeth into operation, made lifelong connections and mentors and relationships. And, and finally, somebody saw that I did something right in Saudi and decided to pull me over into Houston. Uh, and that was 2014. Again, not the greatest timing for a move. Um, and uh, I was supposed to be doing, you know, I, I guess the challenge for me moving from Saudi to Houston was, am I able to be as impactful on our customer base and our numbers outside my uh, own turf? Being from the Middle East, you know, it was, it was a comfortable zone. I could connect easily. So... Could I do the same job that I did in Saudi on a global level? That was that was the challenge. That was the question. Uh, and it being 2014, the, the answer turned out to be no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's an extraordinary challenge anyway. And then right when the bottom drops out of the market, you're trying to reinvent yourself professionally. That's right. And and what was supposed to be an externally facing job to, to get out and, and expand our customer base and our supply chain and distribution channels, uh, it turned out to become, you know, 2015, 2016 came and it was all about defending our margins, making right. sure that, you know, manufacturing costs are dropped. So it was entirely flipped to an internally focused job. And honestly, Leslie, that turned out to be an extremely rewarding experience because I learned everything that's got to do and how much goes into the design and the manufacturing and the supply chain and getting that product to market. You have no idea, you know, how much talent and precision and work and capital and experience goes into getting that one tool in the hole. And, uh, and, and I could see that. So it, it, luckily at some point I found a, a way to transition into a, more of a corporate role doing business strategy uh, and kind of linking up to the energy and transition. One of the, one of the things that we're doing today in this strategy advisory position to support the 17 business units at NOV is, is to work on identifying these growth opportunities Where's the energy transition uh, or really the energy addition is what we're calling it, um, you know, uh, uh, where does it exist and how can we participate in it more? 
That, I mean, is such an interesting story with that education that you gained unexpectedly and how helpful it's been for you as your career has progressed. I think I've heard even Clay say, you know, you never realize when you go through a downturn and you feel like it's just tough and you're grinding and you're grinding. And then when you come out of it, what you've gained is just exponential. It's you learn more in those times. That's absolutely right. And I, I, I say that. Um, some of the best things that happened to me came from the most challenging times in my life and the, the learning that you, you gain that lasts forever. Um, and that's not to be taken lightly. So I, you know, I, I know it's, it hasn't been pleasant for many in our industry for the last year plus. Uh, but what I found is that it's a, it's an opportunity for everybody to revisit with themselves, perhaps redirect, uh, reassess the, their career direction and, and maybe improve on it and open doors that they never paid attention to. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that we talk about a lot on the council, um, on this podcast, just me independently representing our sector are all of the opportunities that are there in energy transition and how we don't view it as, you know, 100% challenge. So NOV has really stepped into that in a, in a strong way, very um, precise, you know, articulation of what energy transition means to the company, how you guys are investing in a lot of things. I mean, I see a lot on offshore wind, Mm -hmm. but I know it's broader than that. So can you kind of maybe just talk about y'all's philosophy, how you're looking at it as an opportunity um, and maybe, you know, how your background just really sets you up perfectly for that? Yeah, sure. Um, I'll say that, you know, energy transition or again, addition uh, has has opened the eyes of many of our businesses to opportunities that uh, we felt made perfect sense for us to participate in. Um, You've probably seen Clay Williams, our CEO, in our uh, latest uh, earnings call come out and say, uh, here's a long list of things that we're doing in respect to energy transition. Uh, and it just makes sense because we've accumulated all these skills over the years to make us ready for uh, being part of this, uh, you know, transformation. Um, and Offshore Wind is a, is a clear winner there. We're market leader in equipment and technology to install offshore wind turbines. Um, but that's not it. I think we're penetrating the, the offshore uh, floating wind space as well. Uh, as it becomes more and more economical. Um, another one's clearly geothermal, and I don't want to be, be too hard on that, but we have dozens and dozens of products and service that, services that have been catering to that space for years. Um, so it's also a natural fit to what we're doing. Um, and, and multiple other types of technologies that we uh, have invested in, we're looking at problems uh, to solve rather than where can we come up with a me too, or how do we use this oil and gas technology in renewables, but truly going back to the drawing board and say, what do the economics look like in mm-hmm. this space? And where are the inefficiencies, just like what we do in oil and gas and how can we optimize that? Cause that's truly how we're going to be impactful in that, in that transition. Absolutely. And it's for a company that's so global, like NOV, we've talked about how, energy transition is really energy transitions, how it's different in each, you know, regional area. It's so specific to region. So that must be for a company like yours, and certainly with your former focus on Middle East and even current, 
you know, energy transition in Saudi is different than energy transition here. It's yeah. it's unique. It's different. And when you see a lot, a lot of the technology happening, for example, in Vietnam, you know, just everybody has their own unique yeah way that whatever resource their region lends themselves to to become more efficient. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And and the transition for uh, the U.S. is entirely different than what the transition looks like in Europe. I mean, we're, we're everybody's looking at Europe and maybe Asia to be kind of the, those who have spearheaded the transition towards wind or solar. But the truth is uh, it has worked for Europe and for uh, Asia because uh, of the local dynamics, because of uh, you know how the how you know how the uh, economics work behind renewables in those regions, and how governments have chosen fiscal policy to drive economic growth. Uh, that does not need to be the case in the U.S. or in the Middle East. The Middle East has been and will remain the backbone of our oil and gas industry for years, and and their transition is going to be entirely different than what it is in Europe. I think there's tons of opportunity to remain. A, a strong player in the oil and gas space and maybe more gas. So the transition in Saudi we're seeing is more towards, more gas, towards gas from oil uh, in the U.S. It's uh, it's diversification of sources. But um, I would I would definitely uh, recommend looking at energy transition from various, various lenses and from local perspectives, because uh, the role of OFSE is going to remain extremely important in some of those regions that don't have enough uh, sun or cannot uh, erect wind towers all you know in, in spaces where space is an issue uh, so definitely a large large uh, dynamic there to, to keep in mind absolutely and we talked earlier about how this industry will always be supported by shale in the Middle East like they're the hot spots you yeah. know we're talking Saudi and the Permian I, I agree yeah 100% that's that's where costs have been driven the lowest and we've done something in the past called barrel economics and that's a study to look at how much equipment or capital goes into each barrel of oil, uh, normalizing across regions around the world. So really a, um, a, a wide bandwidth of um, you know, cost structure and capital expense that goes into. And, and what you'll see is that Permian Basin and the Middle East are, are the areas that will see the most continued and sustainable growth in, in, uh, in oil production. Do you find that with your background and the way that you kind of grew up in the industry in the Middle East, when you're in the Permian environment, you know, or is it, do you feel comfortable in both environments now? I mean, I know I personally, I know what I feel like when I'm sitting in a meeting in Midland and I know what I feel like when I'm sitting in a meeting in Dubai. Yeah. I mean, what do you, how do you feel about that dichotomy in, in yourself? Yeah, I mean, I, I, and to, well, so when I moved to the U.S., I had to learn fracking was like. I mean, yes, of course, we, we heard of what started in 2009 as the shale boom, but my focus was developing oil and gas conventional wells um, in the Middle East, and those are extremely complex wells, some of them more than others, but the production uh, behavior or the production signature of each well is entirely different. A well in the Middle East will produce 5,000 barrels a day on day one with peak oil, well, one in shale will produce less than a thousand, which is why you need 24,000 wells to be drilled to maintain 11 million barrels of production a day from shale. While you only need a thousand wells in the Middle East to maintain the same 11 or 12 million barrels. So entirely different dynamics. And I was lucky to live through the 2010, 2014 
or really 2014, 2020 period where, you know, we were doing twice as much, you know, production with half as many rigs. And that transformation is just mind blowing how down from 2000 rigs down to the few hundreds, you can still produce 11 barrels a day. It's just fascinating. And that's really what drives a lot of our emissions reduction. You know, that's the first I feel like the first scope of, of how we really achieve our environmental goals is just, you know, reducing that footprint. Um, can you talk a little bit about some of the things that NOV is doing in automation? I, I think that drives that. I've seen NOV rigs that can walk, you know, that can mm -hmm. do things on their own. Yeah. Um, some of those exciting things. Can you kind of talk a little bit about some of that? I think what's, what's amazing in the last decade, and more specifically from 2014-15 to date, is that uh, NOV has never stopped uh, investing in R&D. Uh, so while we've given focus and perhaps a big chunk of our conversations are around energy transition, uh, the most significant portion of our business is still oil and gas and supporting our customers, our conventional customers in that space. Um, and really focusing on uh, increasing efficiencies and maintaining uptime uh, and increasing safety are always at the forefront. Today, we're seeing things like uh, putting up multiple robotic arms on our land drilling rigs in a very economic way. The whole issue with robotics on rigs historically has been cost, and we found a way to uh, really turn that into a scalable land model design so that uh, we can improve on performance and increase on safety. So that footprint of, you know, even personnel on board or people on location are reduced. Um, but also at the same time in the data world and digital, how can our Max platform, for instance, contribute to uh, footprint, re footprint reduction by reading and having access to what is really going on on my rig? Uh, we've always had data, but we've never had this many tools to assess and, and, and measure and, and that's that's where a lot of our focus has been. You know, you mentioned how you have it in your shared value statement that, you know, that is the primary part of your business is oil and gas. And mm -hmm. it's true, you are focusing on energy transition and you're extending into other renewables technologies. I think that's unique in the sense that I, I work with a lot of companies in the space and some of them are like, well, are we supposed to just act like, you know, oil and gas isn't our primary business? How do we walk that fine line, but how do you describe that? You know, how do y'all hold true to that core value of sure. knowing that oil and gas are just, you know, mandatory for human flourishing for the next number of decades at least, and then also expanding into other areas? And how would you recommend as a company that's just starting in their sustainability walk, how do they articulate that? This episode of the Energy and Transition podcast is sponsored by Milestone Environmental Services, whose commitment to environmental stewardship and protecting customers, employees, regulators, and neighboring communities make it a leader in the transition to a cleaner energy future. Milestone provides innovative, dependable solutions for non-hazardous waste disposal, which helps their EMP partners improve efficiency and environmental performance in the production of oil and gas. Milestone builds strong customer relationships with a deliberate, proven approach that industry trusts to keep the environment safe. Known for its passion for customer service, Milestone strives to exceed expectations in all they do. Far ahead, always nearby, that's Milestone. 
The Energy Workforce and Technology Council is the global trade association for the energy services and technology sector and a proud sponsor of the Energy and Transition podcast. Representing more than 600 member companies and 600,000 jobs in the U.S., the council is transforming energy by providing members with tools, information, and representation to boldly enable a low-carbon energy future safely, profitably, and sustainably. Through education, best practices sharing, supporting innovation and advocacy, we are driving a smart energy transition and empowering the energy workforce of the future. Sure, yeah, good question, Leslie. I think uh, we've seen a lot of companies change names and we've done ourselves our share last year of transitioning from National Olivarco to officially becoming NOV. Um, and, but I would say that that's not entirely true. It's become really official in, in, uh, you know, in the last few months, but, uh, for the last six or seven years, we've transitioned from, uh, things like putting up NOV logos on our office buildings to, um, you know, our, our marketing material, kind of a reflection of how diversified we've become. Now on that point, I would like to say that diversification is meant to be diversification. It's not meant to say we're reinventing ourselves to become a renewables energy company. We are staying true to uh, our core, which is supporting the oil and gas industry. And as opposed to becoming an oil and gas or moving from being an oil and gas company to becoming an energy company or a renewables company, I would say we're transitioning towards becoming an oil and gas and added energies company. So really the true sense of diversification into new spaces where we see that our skill sets fit in perfectly. And you mentioned our shared values. I think there's lots to be said there, but you know, uh, for the listeners that are not aware what those are, there are you know, three of them, global family who believe in purposeful innovation and in service above all. And in each one of those, there's this, an immediate strong link with ESG. Um, first with being a global family, and, and that's a connection between us and our, ourselves, but also with the communities that we're in. Uh, I, my experience has been that wherever I've been internationally with NOV, I've seen some sort of contribution that may sound a bit inspirational, but, uh, you know, I've, more, more times than none, there has been some strong uh, contribution and giving back. And then on the purposeful innovation, um, we see that we truly believe that what we do is innovate, not just to uh, increase our bottom line for our customers, but also to uh, make energy more accessible and, and truly uh, power the industry that powers the world, um, especially in, in making, you mentioned robotics, making that accessible to markets where high tech was not accessible to. And then last on the um, service above all, uh, we've, we've caught a lot of our people, um, you know, not just going above and beyond to serve our customers, but also going above and beyond to, uh, to, to give back and be part of the communities they're in. And that, that starts from the top of the helm all the way down. And when you see that style of leadership, that servant type of leadership, you know, you're, you have the right culture in the, in the organization. I agree with that. And um, I have always respected the servant leadership of Clay and, and also of David Reed and, and oh, yeah. all of that. But when you talk about ESG, I mean, not only are there commercial opportunities there, but when you talk about all the things that NOV is doing and that naturally goes into your ESG reporting, that's an opportunity in and of itself. And I think that's one thing that we've tried to work with our companies with 
ESG is not something that is just another thing added to your plate because you're already doing four jobs because everyone else yeah. that you worked with, you know, yeah. maybe had lost theirs. But, you know, it's it's an opportunity to talk about everything that we're doing in our communities, the governance that we have in right. place, the emissions reductions that we're driving. Yeah. Um, and to see that as an opportunity, I think, is unique. Uh, and hopefully more will catch on and, and grab hold of that in our space. And, and to give credit to those who you know, this is not so new. A lot of uh, a lot of the companies in oil and gas have been doing ESG for many, many years. It's just been labeled these days and it's been given, you know, a new three letter acronym. Um, but really, uh, we, you know, a lot of big companies we're talking about have been good stewards of whatever they've operated. They've been good stewards of the people they work with. And and, 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 you know, for anybody who hasn't had this as a culture, if companies are thinking about this for the first time, I like to say, you know, go back to, to your roots. Why are you doing what you're doing? What's your purpose? And once you start with the people, which really is at the core of every organization, you, you'll find answers to, to what ESG strategy you need to adopt. I agree. And, and it can be daunting, I think, if you're just starting out with it. But taking, you know, account of everything you're doing in safety, we say, you know, that's, that's a critical part yeah. of the, you know, of that whole um, piece and just taking that and building off of it and going to emissions and going to what you're trying to do in diversity, even if, you know, it's just baby steps, yeah. showing it and tracking it, right. um, I think will be helpful to our companies as we all, you know, jockey to, you know, get capital, you know, access to capital um, and all of the kind of things that are happening to us right now in the market that make us feel very challenged. Yeah. And I, I, I'd like to say that uh, there's a large role for oil and gas in, in, in the energy transition. So reducing emissions from our own space, uh, you know, definitely requires our attention. I think at NOV, we've come up with some technology that uh, recovers kinetic energy in offshore platforms and offshore rigs um, to minimize fuel consumption and hence uh, uh, carbon uh, emissions. Uh, but also uh, things like EFRAC, which if we look at, you know, the sheer size activity that we're seeing, that we've seen in the U.S. historically and what we expect it to come back to, um, I think using our skill sets and our know-how to develop those spaces and kind of, you know, Week and and incorporate uh, some some technologies we're familiar with and some that we're not we weren't historically so familiar with, but being open to to try new things and I think that's that's gonna take us through a, a large leap here. It will, and it's so unique to our culture and to our workforce. I think NOV has always done a good job, really, um, of your storytelling. I don't know any other company that has a full-time storyteller. There may be others, but when I found that out, I was like, oh my gosh, wow. Um, telling those stories about what the company does and what that means to each person around the globe and how they interact with their community, um, I think is extraordinary. And, and that's one of the great things that we have going for us, it's our workforce and it's all the innovation that comes from our people. And so we have to have a seat at the table in yeah. this big energy transition game. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. There's, if, you know, talking about storytelling, I'm a big fan of, and you know, from, from inside out from the show, there's, there's, it's really about telling the story of our industry through the, the people that have lived through it, the ups and downs, and they can share their insight with the rest of the world. 
And when we when we talk about telling the story, we we don't say that lightly. It's truly uh, what are the what are the emotions? What are the pains that you've gone through? What did it take? Nobody made it to success without making a courageous decision at some point or without, uh, you know, nobody goes unscathed. Like it's just, uh, everybody has a story. And if you think that uh, emotions don't belong in the professional realm, that's, that's a big, I mean, you're leaving so much out. Uh, so we, we like to make it a little bit about the people uh, and going back to the Middle East, there's, there's so much, you know, first of all, talent and potential and, and resources over there that I think the story is not limited to, to this space right here or just the leadership at the very top, but also in the regions that contribute the most uh, to the energy landscape worldwide. I agree. And it's exciting to think about, you know, those stories that we're going to continue to tell. So when we talk about the role that oil and gas plays in energy transition, you mentioned that. Um, I think it's it's an interesting point to make that, you know, one of the reasons why oil and gas will be around for a long time is just because of its role in the renewable supply chain, you know, aside from being, you know, a base source of what we need to survive. So what are your kind of thoughts on that? What is kind of that role of oil and gas and renewables and, and are there challenges with renewables? How, how do you articulate those? Yeah, sure. It's um, a great question, Leslie. I think there's, uh, you know, as, a, as an organization, as an industry, um, we learned so much about energy. So I, I, like, I like to say we get energy, not just we help source it, but also we understand it, we get it, we, uh, we immerse ourselves in it for decades and decades. So whether it's oil and gas or geothermal or wind, I think the, the skill sets um, are uh, uh, transferable. Uh, at NOV, we, we, we've, we have a long legacy of innovation and technology dating back to the earliest days of the oil field. And, and building on that history, I think using core engineering and manufacturing and project management expertise, uh, I think a lot of that can be taken into that space. So, so yes, we, we get energy and we get what it takes to solve the problems in the energy world. Um, when I think of... Uh, just a major, massive scale of equipment that we build and extreme precision that equipment's required to move. Um, you know, think of the, the, the largest offshore wind turbine that, uh, that's being uh, uh, developed, you know, that 700 or 600 ton nacelle that's hanging midair uh, for a decade, decade and a half. Uh, I like to also think about our 750 ton top drive that sits on a rig in the middle of the ocean on a, on a, on a, on a drilling rig traveling up and down the, the, the mast over and over again for a couple of decades. I mean, uh, we get that, we understand those, the, the dynamics, the engineering that goes into that. When we think of understanding energy as well, we understand rough environment and harsh uh, uh, environment and, and, you know, especially in the offshore world, we've lived offshore uh, again, for decades. So that skill set that you take, whether it's uh, building a platform or equipment that sit on a rig uh, that that's required to survive in, uh, in 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 a hurricane every other week and in six months during the year for some years, um, that's things that we've done. So uh, when it comes to the U.S. offshore wind market, we feel that we're extremely ready because we understand that space. Uh, also, you know, mobility and agility of uh, and the whole supply chain of the wind industry, specifically on land, 
um, you know, one of the biggest challenges today to reaching higher hub heights uh, to access greater winds is the ability to transfer the largest or the base of those wind towers under bridges. Because if you can't go larger on the bases, uh, you can't go higher and access greater wind resources. So what, how we've solved that is invest in technology to make those bases on location so that we save that. And, you know, looking back to our, to our oil and gas expertise, our rigs are nomads. They, they travel the whole time. We understand that mobile, that requirement. You talked about, um, you know, some of the advantages of walking rigs. Um, I think that fits right in. Um, and then last, uh, I think what we build is equipment that lasts for decades and decades. So uh, regardless of the environment they're in, there's, there's so much that we bring in from an aftermarket support capability that whether it's it's solar or wind or any other source of energy uh, that's an immediately transferable space so i i truly don't mean to sound arrogant when i say that the the transition needs oil and gas to happen because of all the expertise that we've built over the years it absolutely does are those you know what are the other challenges of renewables besides the fact that they rely on oil and gas for their supply chain to be built and to be transported to right. location. Yeah, great, great question, Leslie. I think renewables have made a great, great improvement over the years. I'll give you an example on a levelized cost of energy. In 2012, um, uh, com solar companies were expected to generate uh, solar energy at uh, 10 cents per kilowatt hour. Today, we're looking at, you know, only less than 10 years later, we're looking at uh, two cents per kilowatt. That's that's massive, massive improvement. Uh, but but I, but I also like to say that the cost curve is all scale and it's not technology. And and levelized cost of energy does not tell the full story. And and for renewables to be able to truly compete uh, and achieve deep deep carbonization, uh, I think there are a few things that need to be addressed. And the problems, in my opinion, are still with the fundamentals. Uh, I, I know space has been talked about as one issue for renew renewable consumes a lot of space. And while it may not be the biggest problem in this part of the world, it is in uh, smaller countries in, in Europe, for sure. Um, and how that's been addressed, or how we're addressing that personally is through those technologies that um, maximize wind capture, for instance, and reduce the number of wind turbines that you need uh, to generate energy. But also the second um, thing that I can think of in terms of challenges for, for renewables is intermittency. And I know short-term batteries are resolving that issue, but also geothermal is a, is a massive solution to that. And I think that's where our industry can come in and, and fill that gap. But, but, but the one that's least talked about is seasonality. And I think that's a big deal. Uh, you know, there's less sun in the water and, than, than there is in the summer. Um, for winds, you got permanent winds, you got secondary winds, and you got local winds. So, you know, deep decarbonization remains an issue in that case and a challenge. And, uh, you know, while the short-term solution may be batteries, you won't have batteries that last the whole year or not anytime soon. One solution could be overbuilding facilities. But uh, since, like we said, uh, that may not be so cost-effective, space is an issue, um, I think we, we got to think of different ways. The, the, where, where I'm going with the seasonality is, uh, and where oil and gas fits in, is another solution that could, uh, could come in that's converting electricity into hydrogen. 
And uh, well, it may or may not qualify as renewables. I think um, it's it's how oil and gas can fill that large, large gap that again is not has not been given so much weight lately. Um, uh, when when while it's not entirely cost effective yet, uh, converting um, electricity into hydrogen uh, could become so. Uh, and think of what we do in, in gas processing and oil and gas and CO2 dehydration and water conditioning. And, and that's exactly what we mean when we say green hydrogen. And I think uh, our industry uh, can, can fill that, be that solution. Absolutely. The way that we develop all those technologies and they are applicable across energies. I, I could not agree more. And our sector is, you know, the leader there. Yeah. And it's funny, um, you know, I, I like to say, you know, the operators in the EMP companies like to talk about all the technology yeah. they drive. It's really us. Yeah. And um, energy services, oil field services and equipment, the OEMs, we are doing extraordinary things. I agree. Um, but Assad, thank you so much for coming out. I appreciate your leadership in our space and your history back in the Middle East. And I look forward to working with you in both places, you know, um, as we kind of navigate our way through all this. But your leadership role and how you articulate the positive benefit that that really our companies in energy services and oil field services have um, goes a long way for all of us. So thank you for that. Yeah, well, uh, the Middle East is, is my is my home, my original home. This is my adopted home, so uh, <laughs> I, I love to do that. It's been, I'm, I'm trying to get Dubai to like want to adopt me. You yeah. know, do, you, do you think that'll work? I, I think I think you have <laughs> high chances. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Everyone, thanks for listening. Um, be sure to rate and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us on another great episode of the Energy and Transition podcast. Please make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. It's the best way to support the podcast and to grow our community. Also, if you want to reach out to us, please go to our website at energyandtransition.com and we'll catch you in the next episode.